You've been gone a long time. Where did you go? Munchkin. Hello. Yeah, well, you've been gone. Fearless reporter Lois Lane is a mommy. But if you ask me, she's still in love with you know who. How could you leave us like that? I moved on. So did the rest of us. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. This is kind of a little reunion, isn't it? Heck, I'm a fan. I'll have advanced technology. Thousands of years beyond what anyone could throw at me. But millions of people will die. Billions! You wrote that the world doesn't need a savior. But every day I hear people crying for one. Come on, let me hear you say it just once. You're insane. No! <laughs> no, it was the other thing. Superman will Wrong! Bring it on! Now fly. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the IPC podcast, also known as the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. We are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, and we have another super awesome episode for you guys Tonight, we're going to be revisiting something that, uh, you know, a, a, a little uh, ongoing arc we've had going for a little while this year, and uh, returning to Metropolis, yes indeed, ma'ams and sirs, we are going back to Superman, and Superman's coming back to us, because this week, we're going to be talking about Superman Return from way back in 2006. My God, I remember 2006. That's that's that makes me feel old. Um, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be a heck of a lot of fun. Continuing our Superman discussion, covering every single movie, whether we like it or not. 
Um, so yeah, this is going to be a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, also, you know, there's new Clone Wars out, so that, that'll inevitably come up at some point, And, uh, we have to have some group therapy about that. But, uh, introductions are in order. If you are new to the program, my name is Ben. And joining me, as he does almost every single time we do this, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's up with you? Almost every time. I mean, I've been I've been pretty consistent since Corona broke out. I haven't had anywhere else to go or anything else to do. So you guys are kind of stuck with me for the time being. But <sighs> nah, I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be back. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to be talking about the Clone Wars. Not as excited to be talking about Superman Returns, but we're taking our punches—the good, the bad, and the ugly—with it, and we're getting ready. Uh, to celebrate in the not-too-distant future, I want to say that next week's episode will be commemorating our sixth anniversary wow. in the history of this podcast. So that is definitely a milestone, and it's definitely something to be on the lookout for uh, in the not-too-distant future. I, I want to say we had our first episode on May the 10th, so yeah, next week's episode on the 8th, is the closest one we're going to have. So, uh, yeah, be sure to keep a lookout for that in uh, next week's episode. It'll, it'll basically just be a, a big celebration of all of our achievements and all the things that we've accomplished in the last six years, all the things that we're looking forward to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It should be a lot of fun. So uh, I'm excited for the fun tonight, and I'm excited even more that I don't have to uh, share in this um, – Misery? Misery loves company? I don't really know how to describe this. I'll put it this way. It's not as bad as Quest for Peace, but it's still not all that great. So I'll just I'll just put it at that. But here to share in our misery and back for more fun, however you want to describe it, uh, it's Mr. Jacob Damon. Oh, I'm back for more fun. Hello, everyone. I am happy to be here. I have just completed watching the latest episode of the clone wars per zach's request not a request more like a demand it was definitely demand there was <laughs> there were threats to my family involved there was so much going i on. swear no, to kidding. god if you don't watch that damn clone wars episode yeah. yeah there was an ultimatum he was like i won't be friends with you ever again if you don't and so i just had to comply and i did and hold you know on. what hold what? on I might be I, making some of this up. I said nothing. I all I all I said was or else. I have. I mean a lot of things. I did, I did not tell you. I said I'll settle for ten Eastern if you watch the damn Clone Wars episode. And I was actually talking to Ben because he said he was going to be running late. Mm -hmm. And then I said, "Your time to shine, bro." When I tag you, don't yeah. let me down. And then you said. Uh, I have not, question mark. And I said, you have an hour or else. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the type of thing like uh, a serial killer would say. But, you know, I won't hold that against hey, you. Yeah, no, hey, no, that's, fine. That's, hey. the, that's the kind of thing you would hear Lex Luthor say. Superman, yes. do this or else. Pretty so. much any comic book villain who is like, you have 24 hours. But Zach made it an hour, so. No, 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 no. So you're making me 24 times worse than a supervillain because I said you had one hour instead of 24? I'm not making you that way. You're making you that way. But No, uh, no I'm yeah. making 
No, 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 no. This is that was my group dad voice. All right, listeners in the chat or wherever you are, comment: Is Zach acting like a serial killer right now, or, or is he our dad, or is he our dad? A parent. I'm the group dad saying, "Get your crap together, <laughs> so we can stop this for him." I'm the group dad. I'm not your actual dad. I'm not Darth Vadering you right now. Come on. Jeez. Well, I'm glad that I did because it was a damn good episode. You guys are so dramatic. I know what's best for you. That's why I told you to watch the episode, damn it. You're right, Dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll deal with you later. Oh my goodness, there's another there's another <laughs> serial killer. Threats killing everywhere. <laughs> this is this is uh, these microaggressions are just ugh. <laughs> Too much. Speaking of which, we got a lot of that from this uh, this particular uh, movie. I feel yeah. like there, I think I feel like there was a lot of of very similar instances to that. But you know, <laughs> going back to the Clone Wars for just a few seconds here, because that yeah. was the that was the whole point of the threat was saying you've got to watch this episode and we're talking about episode 11 of the final season 11 out of 12 it's the penultimate of the entire series by the name shattered and guys if i'm being honest my mind was just a little bit shattered by the conclusion of this episode my my mind and my heart was shattered by this oh, episode dude. indeed it's I'm telling uh, something else. Um, I, I also real quick spoiler alert. There, I don't, I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say that. Yeah, Order sixty six happened, and it was not pretty. It was not pretty I, at all, dude. I was just, I was gonna, I was just gonna say spoiler alert and then leave it at that. Like hell, we're talking spoilers about this. Hell yeah, like oh my gosh, this episode, it. It did things that I kind of anticipated were coming, right? But still, did not expect them to be executed in this fashion. Executed. So the, I see what you did there. Yes, Ooh. yes, uh, that was intentional. I choose my words on purpose. I've been doing this for six years, man. Come on. But I, I was not expecting. No, uh, okay. Let me let me tell you some of the things I was not expecting. I was not expecting the uh, Jedi Council War Room meeting to be extended by Ahsoka Tano. Oh, for one yeah. Thing. Like, I knew that we were going to get a hearkening to that because we saw it in the trailer that we were going to get Mace Windu saying the dark side of the Force surrounds the Chancellor, etc., etc. Like, I knew that that was going to happen. What I did not know was that there was more to that conversation that we did not get to see in Revenge of the Sith because it cuts away from the meeting. Like, that was brilliant editing on the part of Filoni and crew being able to take something that we've known for 15 years and put a different spin on it. How much more important is it that Mace gives Anakin that message about engaging Grievous and sends him away from that meeting just before his former Padawan shows up? Yeah. Like, if 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 he had been present at that meeting, some of Ahsoka's questions that she asked towards the end of the conversation might have actually been answered. Yeah. But instead, she gets RBF from from Mace Windu and just doesn't become privy to any of the information, isn't able to fill in the gaps, and then becomes an unfortunate accessory to Order 66 just a few moments later. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's also like just the animosity there, like you're saying, like you know, Ahsoka saying, "Oh, I'm I'm not a Jedi. I'm a citizen." And then Mace Windu throws it back in her face, like, "Oh yeah, citizen. Um, you're, yeah. you're not allowed to be here. We can't share it with normal citizens this is, like you." This is this is stuff that only our club knows about. Nah, 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 nah. And it's like Ahsoka has pivotal information at this point. She has yes. been told almost directly from the source that Anakin is a key piece in the Sith's plan to the plot to destroy the Jedi, which Mace just mentioned. Yep. And because he snubs her off, you know, she's like, nah, I don't have anything to say. I'll just wait till later. Um, and later never came. Like, later that day, um, Sith went to hell. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's amazing, like, what, just imagine what could have happened. Like, you had just the whole idea of, like, Ahsoka and Maul in the last episode. Like, what would have happened if they teamed up? What What would have happened if Ahsoka hadn't? gone, you lie, and all this kind of stuff, and started fighting uh-huh. him. Like, what if they had teamed up to go get Sidious? What if Ahsoka had laid everything out at that meeting and went, um, okay, listen up. So, yeah. the, here's what's happening with Anakin, here's what's happening with Sidious. I heard it from Darth frickin' Maul that I have yep. in custody. Like, all this stuff. But, uh, you know, again, the Jedi just screwed themselves over. They really did. They really did. Jake, thoughts on the episode? It was dark it was um it definitely felt penultimate you know like going in like going into it you know this is i mean i didn't know because i'm not paying attention but most people know this is the second to last episode i didn't find out till after but it feels like you know we're building up to something here um and of course if you're familiar with the the story of star wars uh especially revenge of the sith you know that this is in the midst of all of that and um obviously stuff's going to go down. Uh, it, it was crazy to see order 66, um, take place, you know, in, in the clone wars finally. Yeah. And, uh, you, you kind of know that's just where everything's got to start wrapping up. And, um, like you were saying, Zach, we've got scenes we've seen in revenge of the Sith that blend in with this. And, um, it's going to be interesting. I think my biggest takeaway from this episode is you know, upon rewatch of revenge of the Sith, how I'm going to look at things differently, knowing that oh, yeah. some of these things are going on yeah. at the exact same time. And oh, yeah. I, I think as a fan, as a star Wars fan, that really adds a whole new layer of enjoyment to it. Um, so I really enjoyed the episode. And I think once, once we watch the last episode, I'm going to go through the whole, the whole season one more time, just for that, um, binge experience and and sure. uh see what it's like to just watch it all together well i mean we've got that petition going about being able to see all four episodes in sequence and uh-huh. we're what two weeks into it and got like almost three thousand signatures or something like crap the, like the, awesome. the net the as it says right now the next goal the next big goal for it is five thousand we're currently wow. sitting on let me pull it up here and see because it takes a sec to load 2,780. So, okay. so easily, considering how well and fast it's grown, we're looking at easily 3,000 within the next couple of days. Well, and, awesome. within, and within the next couple of days is when the final episode is going to drop right. because we don't have to wait a whole week for this one. The finale is happening on Star Wars Day. 
which yeah. is really, really cool. And it means that we don't have to sit on as much of a cliffhanger this time around as we did the last time, which is also really, really awesome. There's a lot happening on Star Wars Day this year. Not nearly as much stuff has ever happened on May the 4th as what we're getting from Star Wars this time around. We are getting the absolute final episode of The Clone Wars. We're getting a behind-the-scenes docu-feature on The Mandalorian. And we're getting The Rise of Skywalker released on Disney+. Plus. So any and every type of Star Wars consumption you wish to experience, you'll be able to do so on Monday. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely amazing and actually something to celebrate because like usually Star Wars Day is like, oh yay let's go online and talk about Star Wars because we don't do that every other day of the week every year Um, but uh, this is actually going to be really special, a lot of good stuff I'm really looking forward to, you know, that Mandalorian series and I'm really looking forward to a lot of things and having access to The Rise of Skywalker and literally all the other films and uh, yeah, Clone Wars my god like that's I can you know I, I'm I'm ready I'm I'm anxious to see the finale but I'm also like don't uh, don't rush it like I'm not ready for it to end. No. So like here's another thing that I'm also uh, taken aback by from this episode was the fact that uh, Commander Rex not Captain Rex Commander mm-hmm. Rex when he received the order for Order sixty six. He's the only one that I know of who responded, yes, Lord Sidious. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. have, you have Cody saying it will be done, my lord. And, and probably a couple of others that also say that. Um, but he's the only one that addresses him by name. And honestly, I feel like that might have been a red flag for the newly christened emperor. Like, one of my clones knows my name. Or is, or is that supposed to be general knowledge? That's one of the things that was kind of a gray area for me. I couldn't tell if that was something that you're supposed to know or not supposed to know. But it did still have a big impact on me because of the way that he received the message, the tears that he's got in his face, the way that he dropped his helmet, that, you know, he, he's got like this this very heavy conflict going on within him. And the animators were able to express it so incredibly well i was oh yeah i was not prepared to have you know it's weird because i've been watching this show since it dropped in 2008 and i still don't think i was prepared to have that type of emotional reaction from an animated show i should have Mm -hmm. known better like honestly and it, it was it was it was it was emotional. It was nerve wracking, and 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 seeing that right after Ahsoka feeling the conflict in the Chancellor's office through the Force, it was like it was like you you had this foreshadowing of what was about to come, what was about to happen, what was about to be said, and yet I still just didn't feel ready for it. I wasn't ready. Yeah, it's almost like it it, it happened pretty quickly like everything like she hears the whole scene and maul hears it too um it's almost like it kind of reverberated through the force and almost got there too late because as soon as it kind of passes and you hear anakin go what have i done it's rex getting the message 
and mm-hmm. he's you know and she she's going up to him going what's going on and and he's like um yeah so there's this thing yeah. <laughs> right like how how bad would that be if like put it in the context of of like dating or something like you've you've been with this person for six years and then you find out that you know all you need is one phrase and all of a sudden it's a completely different person and they turn into a into a psychopath yeah like like there are some people who have been put under hypnosis or something like that and if you say a particular trigger word they do some kind of crazy thing that's basically what happened with the clones and the inhibitor chips. You know, they've got these inhibitor chips. They've been working and fighting and they've been loyal to the Jedi for years on end. And then execute order 66 and just bam. But the cool thing about it is, uh, you know, from, from what we've experienced over these last several seasons, Jake, is that we, we see the loyalty that the clones have to each other mm-hmm. and to the Republic. And that loyalty to the Republic comes first. And Rex kind of describes that once Ahsoka gets away in the sense that every force wielder, essentially, has been branded an enemy of the Republic and under General Order 66, they're to be exterminated. Like that loyalty endures even after working with the Jedi for as long as they have. Right. And another thing that I totally forgot about and didn't even think about is that you're right it is every every force user not just every jedi you think sometimes you think about it as just them killing all the good guys right all the jedi but you know rex goes go execute maul you know and i'm like oh they're against everybody now they want to cover all their bases and so like i don't here's the thing i don't think palpatine knew that they had maul in custody yet I don't I don't think that he knew. So I don't think this was like some separate directive. I feel like this was initiative on Rex's part being like, well, if we're killing the Jedi, let's just kill Maul while we're at it. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny how it's funny how they reacted because we we've never seen we've gotten like the movie version which is very kind of cut and dry. Yes, my lord, they just do it. Mm-hmm. And then we have the it you will know, be done, my lord. We Who have was that? The... Commander Gree says it will be done, my lord, and then he pauses and waits like five minutes, it feels like, before he finally points his gun at Yoda. And I was like, you son of a gun. Of course you were going to get your head cut off. What did you think was going to happen? You turn off that hologram and you hit him from 15 yards instead of one yard. What is Sniper. wrong with you? Sniper, man. Um, but we got the we got the top version in season six, which was good soldiers follow orders, good soldiers follow orders, right? You know, and that whole thing, and this kind of weird, almost creepy version of it. <clears throat> and now we actually get like this other version where it's like it's Rex, but like he's in kill mode, like he's in like okay, we're right. gonna we, we they're they're Jedi are traitors, and we got to do this. And it's it, it gives you kind of better understanding like what the whole thing with the the chip is. I think the chip really just flips a switch in their brain to where they're still the same, but they are now completely obedient to, to, to Sidious. They're not, they're not these free thinking God, free thinking guys that will, you know, if they see their Jedi general going off the rails and trying to kill them, they're going to go take him down and arrest him like they did with Krell. Like that's not going to happen in this scenario. They are totally obedient. They're what they were designed to be. And yep. in a way, the whole inhibitor chip lie thing is actually kind of true because now it just puts them back into being 
slaves, basically. And, you know, yeah. you, you know, and, and it's really sad because they're just they're just doing it. They're they're not even thinking about it. It's like okay, this is my orders. I gotta go do this. The Jedi are traitors, and you know, there's no even thought to it. It's, there's no there's no inkling of a thing. And Rex actually, for just a split second, he he is trying to he he tells Ahsoka. He gives her the clue about fives and says find fives and that's he's and then he starts shooting at her so he just resists it for just long enough to give her an, enough time to deflect and yeah. give her that opportunity to save him later and that whole moment you can see the battle that he's having in his mind on his face you know he's like fighting through tears not to kill ahsoka but he can't stop it and yeah. that that was a great scene i thought yeah, that just a little moment of realizing it's it's almost it's funny it kind of mirrors Anakin just a bit to me it does yeah in the way that Anakin you know you have that moment on the on the on the uh, on Mustafar where he's out on the balcony he's crying yeah and he's actually like having some remorse he's like realizing Anakin is kind of bubbling up in him and saying look this is awful what I'm doing but he's right. still going through with it. And with, yeah. with with Rex, it's almost like I know what I'm about to do is horrible, but I have to do it. I have no choice. I I, I can't stop myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other interesting thing is like how quickly they turn on Ahsoka, how, as quickly as they turned on everybody else that we saw back in 05. And the the it's so not fair what Filoni and company did to us because the previous 2.5 episodes we have had moments where they're just walking down a corridor and the troopers are stopping and saluting Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're going up and down the bridge salutes. You're going up and down the corridor salutes. You're, you're walking into the hangar. They freaking change their helmets for her. They change their entire uniforms for her. And then order 66 comes around and it's like, ah, screw that. You're dead. Like that yeah. is how instantaneously they, they change. That is how effective their inhibitor chip is is that all of that loyalty even after she leaves the jedi order everything that's been built up is just gone it just vanishes in the blink of an eye in the in the distribution of one command their inhibitor chips are active and bam that's it it's funny how rex gets the command but seems like all the clones are immediately in on it yeah. Like some maybe yeah. they all get it transmitted to their helmets or something like that. But like in even in the movies, like it's all it all seems like they just okay nod. We're all in on this. Let's do this. Well, yeah. it it sounded like there there was one sequence in Revenge of the Sith where this trooper put his uh, hand to his helmet while they were on speeder bikes, as if he was like receiving some kind of incoming transmission. I can't help but wonder if that transmission was distributed to all the troopers. Like, it's coming yeah. in on all of their communication headsets, maybe like a separate frequency or something like that, that that's dedicated for this type of general order. And, I, you know, this is this is an ironic statement, one that's been around since 2005, but I wonder what the hell were the other 65 orders? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Like, I'm pretty sure in the EU they probably... <laughs> there's, some, there's somewhere where they've outlined that. Well... well I, I They've got like an Order sixty seven that's like, oh, it's not the Jedi that are the traitors; it's the Chancellor. Yeah. So, like, if he just if he did one slip up to one clone battalion, execute Order sixty seven. Guys, suit up! We gotta go kill the Chancellor. Well, I think part of what the inhibitor chip is is like, 
they don't know what order 66 is at all before it's given to them. Like that information is in the chip and that's fed to their brain. But the thing to unlock that is the phrase execute order 66, because I mean, I can't imagine they went over a guidebook when they were clones. Like, okay, here's order 65. Don't throw trash on the ground Order 66, uh, kill all the Jedi. What the heck? You know, I don't think that's, part of that you know so i think it's just like order 63 bring the chancellor a bantha burger yeah it's it's almost like you know the winter soldier type thing where it's like oh, a series of phrases unlocks his uh you know killing abilities or whatever um yeah, that's what i think's going on nobody nobody's allowed to mention order 69 oh my goodness freight cars in order <laughs> my 69. favorite order <laughs> The same oh. RIPC, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. The same RIPC. Uh, save that for next week. Um, let's talk about the the interesting collaboration that goes on between Ahsoka and Maul really quickly. Yeah. Because it, when she walked into the detention center, I actually genuinely expected it to be a team up. I really yeah. expected her to give him like her chateau or something so that he's got a weapon. And nope. they were going to escape on some sort of shuttlecraft together or something like that. Like, I was not expecting her to just set him loose and be like, go, mm, do a thing. Yeah, <laughs> Aren't you going go. to give me a fighting chance? I'm not rooting for you. <laughs> oh, I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. And yet, and yet, even with her not rooting for him, he still causes a world of chaos without a lightsaber. Ooh, he pulls on freaking darth vader from rogue one. Oh my gosh he so does except the- vader needed a lightsaber maul didn't even need a lightsaber like i think that just is a great showcase of his destructive capacity that he didn't even need a saber up and down that corridor all he needed was technology and uh, the you know the blast doors and whatever casings were along the wall that's all he used and it was enough mm-hmm. to take out the troopers that he was facing. It was so well done. Brutal. Yeah. Like, really brutal. Like, like, let's face it, the Rogue One hallway scene, there's no beheadings in that. Like, did they were taking, he was taking guys' heads off with, with sheets of metal in this mm-hmm. thing. And he was taking their arms off with the blast doors. Our friend and patron of the program, Dan Grievous, posted this image. He shared it from another page. I forget what it was called. But it was a picture. <laughs> it was a picture of Woody from Toy Story, and they superimposed Maul's face over Woody. <laughs> and he had a clone trooper arm sticking out from the side of Sid's window, and he's like, "Oh, hey, trooper! Why don't you say hello to the guys over there?" <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I lost it. I was like, that's so terrible, but so hilarious. <laughs> Clone Wars memes are the best. That's so brilliant. We need to make more Clone Wars memes. They, they, they... There's, a, there's a severe lack of them. Seriously. Oh, man. And what's funny is when you when you understand the context, when you understand that reference, you get stuff like that tweet that you posted, Ben, <laughs> of... <laughs> episode spoilers without context i love those by the way like those might be one of my favorite uh tv or movie meme contents is it, it's genuinely my favorite it's my favorite to do and also dc oh my gosh because when you know you know and when you don't you don't you're like how is any of this connected and then you watch the movie and you're like oh that's how 
Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I saw, I, 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 I kept, you know, I watched the episode once, and I'm like, oh, that, you know, the moment where Rex is holding his guns and crying looks a lot like that one meme that goes around where Wesley Snipes is holding a gun and he's crying, and then yeah. I went to the other one, and it's like, oh, well. Small in his thing waking up looks like Squidward waking up. This <laughs> eyes like like I just I just kept going with it. Okay. I'm like okay, this is great. Okay, but what was the Mega Mind one? That was the one I didn't get. Okay, this was a deep one. I'm I'm glad I confused a few people. So this one is, and thank you, random citizen, which is a reference to Ahsoka being a citizen. Oh yeah! Oh, that whole scene where where Mace threw him or threw shade, and all all the uh, Jedi disappear from the call except for Yoda. I thought that was so great. She was like, "What more to say have you?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, Yoda." And the uh, the the like, one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I like I like the Chirrut one. The Chirrut one I got. And that's from another meme that I stole, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's a meme that says, "When uh, it, says, uh, it says, you know, Ahsoka, one woman with the Force, the Force is with me, and it's just cheer it on the bottom going, look, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, he said it. Like, that could have been a Peter, uh, it could have been a Peter Griffin one. Like, if they if they took Peter Griffin in the movie theater, it's like, ah, ah, he said it, he said it. Like, you could have done that with Jared's face superimposed over Peter Griffin, but I think no. I think some of these went over people's heads. I think it's specifically the Mega Mind one because uh, it didn't get very much. It's like get, getting no likes or retweets on Twitter. So, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, wow. you mean well, your social influence was lost on the people that you influence? If, oh. if I get if I get below like a million likes, then you know it's it's a, it's a fail post in my opinion. I mean, you might as well just delete your account. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Just start over, Ben. Do better next time. Gosh. <laughs> but the, the the thing that I really enjoyed about this episode was the connections that it made to Rebels. And that that's saying something because I'm not the biggest proponent of Rebels. But yeah, I, seriously. What? I did like this connection. I like that we know Ahsoka survives Order 66 because she shows up in Rebels, but we don't really get the how. Mm. Episode explicitly and, you know, completely shows us the how, which is awesome. And that goes for Rex, too. It does. That's the other thing is, like, how does Rex get through all of this? How does he get to where he is? And why are they still friends? Like, all of that is going to be explained here and on Monday. And it's it's just so cool to see in spite of the contradictions that it's making to the Ahsoka novel. Yeah, you're right, because that it's already like I think the Ahsoka novel is kind of non-canon. And it's, it's going to have to be. And if uh, we're being honest, nobody cares. <laughs> if we're being honest, oh. this version's better. Well, I, what, what happens in the Ahsoka novel? So... Um, I can't remember. I read read a Screen Rant article. I didn't read the actual book, but I read a Screen Rant article that talks about all of the changes. Apparently, in the book, Ahsoka is dealing with, like, the immediate aftermath of going out to the Outer Rim after Order 66 and how she uh, finds Bail Organa, becomes Fulcrum, all that good stuff. Mm. And through a series of flashbacks, it describes Order 66 as coming through while they're still on Mandalore, for one thing. Right, I think the actual, the first scene in the book is Maul fighting Ahsoka. 
and oh, they're kind of the, you're seeing kind of the tail end of their fight and it kind of it ties in with the rebels thing as i think for some reason ahsoka runs away oh. and you get the running away again lady tano and that's kind of it and i guess at the time they kind of just gave it to the book because they didn't well, think there's that there's a bit there's a, there's a bit more than that though um apparently rex um defies the order I think oh, I see. Rex, uh, Rex has already removed his inhibitor chip at this point because of the stuff that happened to Fives. He, right. did, he didn't want it in him, and in the book, he's already got it removed by the time they make it to Mandalore. So when Order 66 is enacted, he defies it, and he and Ahsoka fake their own deaths together and build graves and everything, and they swap Rex's body for another trooper's body and bury him. Yeah, with Ahsoka's lightsabers, I think. With Ahsoka's green lightsabers. Her lightsabers <laughs> are still green in the book. And they fake their deaths by putting in two graves and then escaping Mandalore and dispersing to the Outer Rim from there. Oh, that's interesting. And, and like, you know, I am, I, am, I am a fan of the idea of everything being canon. I, I like that they've done that and you know i think it strengthens the the overall story and you know it it adds credence to smaller stories and you know helps them be more important but at the same time when it comes down to this something like this should not be beholden to a book like what we're getting in this show is way better way better and it's because like it's been developed by a team and it's been developed by dave floney all these people that know what they're doing and you just give it to one author like like that book should have never covered that. Like, they shouldn't yeah. have let that happen in the first place. Like, you know, yes, at the time, The Clone Wars wasn't thought of as going to be ending. But eventually, it was going to happen, and throwing a bone out like that, just you know, it was just, it was a bad idea. And I'm glad they were like, let's just let this happen. Let's just rewrite this. Let's do it properly this time. Let the, let the Clone Wars actually do it on their own terms and not worry about, you know, trying to adhere to some book. Well, and at the time, there was no notion of bringing the Clone Wars back at the time of the book. So there was free reign to come up with something like that. And it would have stood as canon if we hadn't gotten this final season. So, you know, I get it. It's basically what the uh, now Legends canon had been doing for 20 years. Mm. There wasn't anything else set in this time. So this is the thing that we're going to go with. This is it. And up until that point with the Ahsoka novel, there hadn't been anything else. So this is what we're going to go with. But yeah, now that we've got something different and in my opinion, better, I am fine with taking that and rolling with it and seeing what else the show has to offer. Because when when Rex tells her at the end of the episode, it's everyone. It's all of us. All of the troopers have been assigned to kill every one of the last Jedi Knights. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I know that that's what happens. Obviously, I've watched it in Revenge of the Sith. But now I get to watch it through a new lens, through a new perspective, with characters that I care a heck of a lot more about than Samuel L. Jackson wielding a purple glow stick. Like, (laughs) how dare you? I care a lot more about what happens to Ahsoka Tano than what happens to Mace Windu. I just do. Because and, Ahsoka's actually a good person, and Mace Windu is a dick! <laughs> apparently, 
like honestly, I'm still reeling over that whole "I'm sorry, citizen." Like, like. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that my, was just uncalled for. Oh my god! It like, I have heard such passive aggressive things only on like, like teen drama TV shows and like Mean Girls and stuff like that. Like, oh my gosh! How I mean, is is that how you treat somebody who just helped you by capturing Maul? No, but it's it's how you treat somebody who abandoned the Jedi Order, even though you dicked them over a couple of seasons ago. Like she I, invaded I, a planet, took down a Sith Lord, captured him, is now bringing him back. Something that the Jedi couldn't do themselves. They spent three years fighting Dooku, never could catch him. <laughs> <laughs> she takes down Maul at first try. That's honestly yeah. true. Like. And I think that's the other thing that I really love about Ahsoka's character is she is different. And I, and I don't mean to say that lightly or, or in jest, but like her training with Anakin has helped set her apart from the rest of the Jedi Order. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if there's a little bit of jealousy involved there, that she has more perspective from hanging out with the sisters in the previous arc. She now understands what an everyday citizen, you know, expects of the Jedi and how warped their ideology is. And, and I think they're a little bit jealous of how efficient and effective she is because since she's been working with Anakin, she really hasn't had that many losses. I mean, if you if you don't count like when she had her first command back in season one and lost half of her squadron in a fighter assault. Aside from that, she hasn't suffered very many losses. And so she's got this excellent efficiency rate. She's got great leadership skills that has brought about a ton of loyalty from the troopers. And I can't help but wonder if there's just a little bit of jealousy involved in there that she is that loved and respected and there are other members of the council who are not even yeah. by their own kind i, I don't know. I, I just i can't i can't help but think that and that explains away a little bit why mace is being so petty here because he has had poor encounters during the war and he has had some very strange political dealings on Coruscant. Like, things do not seem to be going well for him, and he's gotten so paranoid that he feels like there's a plot to destroy him, which that paranoia is proven true, but he's still gotten to that point that he is that obsessive and paranoid over his situation that those are the things that he's thinking about. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so uh... thoughts on what we can expect Monday? Really quick. What do you what do you guys think we can expect from the Clone Wars come Monday? The last episode of the entire series. How do they send this thing off right? I I say expect the unexpected because if you notice that all the stuff in the trailers was from these past three episodes. I don't think we've yeah. seen anything from the upcoming episode. Anything. Oh. Think about that for a second. We're going into uncharted territory here. And I'm just, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of empty pieces. Obviously, you know, all these characters survive. Maul has to go on and lead Crimson Dawn and, you know, meet meet his scheduled appearance in Solo A Star Wars Story. 
Um, Ahsoka's got to show up in Rebels. Uh, Rex has got to show up in Rebels. Um, but how do they get there? And how do they get out of this mess, especially when they're on this ship, surrounded by clones, trapped in a room on a ship with no escape pods and a lockdown hangar? Um, yeah, how are they going to get out of this one? I, I'm, I'm curious. And for me, I couldn't even begin to guess. I really don't want to put any expectations on the episode for fear of being disappointed. But you know how what big what or how much of a big deal it is that they brought the show back at all. Dave Filoni knows how much we love the show. I'm sure they've got something special um, in mind for us. I think it's going to be pretty bittersweet maybe a little melancholy um i think it's going to be a mix of things that we wanted to see things we didn't expect to see things that are gonna put a smile on her face and things that are gonna make us shed some tears i really hope it's a mix of all those things uh but again i really don't want to put any expectations on it Chances of precipitation from the eyes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one one way or another, it's that's that's definitely going to happen. Like when when the episode cut to the credits, I literally let out like this piercing scream. I was like, ah! yeah. <laughs> like I was Painful. I was not I was not prepared for that. Like as as prepared as I was trying to get, I was still not prepared for that. So. I, I'm I'm excited and I'm glad that it's coming a little bit sooner because you know I'm gonna be on the edge of my seat all weekend you know thinking about it and and wanting to see it and so that anticipation I don't have to wait as long but I do appreciate the fact that they didn't release them like back to back and we just binge it and get it over with there's gonna be a whole weekend of discussion there's gonna be a whole weekend of speculation and then it's going to drop on Monday. I don't know what you guys are doing on Monday, but I might want to do like a rapid reactions to that episode or something and put I'm it down. up on the YouTube page maybe because we mm-hmm. haven't put any YouTube videos up in a while, and I think this would be the perfect time for a YouTube video to go viral. So I don't know. We'll see. But um, I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, you can assume that considering it was the Clone Wars that brought this podcast into existence – when we celebrate our sixth anniversary next week, you can bet there's going to be some Clone Wars conversation going on in there as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I can't, oh, I can't wait. This is going to oh, be great. And be so good. Our, our our friend in the chat, Stephen Schinder, posted on uh, on channel 1138.com. By the way, we are broadcasting live on Facebook tonight as well. So a big howdy to all the folks listening on Facebook Live. We peaked at like 39 viewers on Facebook Live a little while ago, which was mm-hmm. awesome. And then we've got our our series regulars, if you will, Stephen, George, Michael, Francisco, Matt Tapaccio is here with us tonight on channel1138.com. Uh, thanks to all you guys. And before he made this really snarky comment, he says, this final episode better have Jar Jar saving the day. <laughs> Mm-mm. Please bring him back. Come Mm-mm. on. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Stop. Um, but the real, the real uh, hero or the villain, depending on who you Steven, talk to. Steven suggested that for the sixth anniversary, maybe we find something to do a top six of. That Ooh. would be interesting. Considering how popular our top fives have been, maybe for the sixth anniversary, we do a top six. Who knows? Lots of potential, and uh, we got a whole week to decide. So 
we will figure that out by the time next week comes around. But definitely tune in to channel38.com and definitely tune in here on facebook.com forward slash IPC podcast. We'll probably be broadcasting on both platforms again next week to celebrate our sixth anniversary. But that's next week's episode. This week's episode is actually supposed to have been about Superman Returns. You can see that on the promo image. But we spent the last, like, 45 minutes talking about a 26-minute TV show episode. (laughs) Priorities. Well, I mean, like I said, Clone Wars is what brought this show into existence. So it's only fair that we give it some time. Um, But our primary topic of the evening, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Ben, we've been going to Metropolis for the last little while here in 2020. It was per request from some longtime listeners and just something that we thought about doing because we've done the Batman trilogy before and we've done a lot of Marvel movies. But we haven't done a whole lot from DC recently. And so we decided to take a look at some of the older DC, including the likes of Superman Returns. So that is is where we're at. We've gone through the original four Superman films. We even muscled our way through Quest for Peace. And now we're to Brandon Routh's interpretation of The Man of Steel. And I gotta say... I was I was expecting it to feel a bit like a uh, cheesy ripoff, but Brandon Routh's version of Clark Kent actually seemed to mimic a lot of the mannerisms and styles that we got from Christopher Reeve, and I was very impressed with that. Well, just to set the record straight here, and I was talking about this before the show, that this movie is a direct sequel. It's it's from the same universe, same story that's left over from the original 1970s movies, but it is a direct sequel to Superman 1978 and Superman 2 from 1980. It pretty much ignores the events of Superman 3, Supergirl, which we haven't even talked about, 1984, and Quest for Peace. So, rightfully so, it's taking kind of the best two out of that thing and adding a third movie, kind of making it a trilogy, and, you know, kind of paying homage to those two original films. And, I should say, right out of the gate, this is the best Superman movie Oh, wow. that's my that's my hot take for tonight. Dis- disagree, but that's that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great hot take to start with. You're that making is, me that think, is, Ben. That is, <laughs> that, that is that is that is a great hot take, uh, I, and I'm curious what your what your explanations are as to why you feel that way because I personally enjoyed. Uh, I think it was Superman Two is the one that I've rated the highest so far. I, I think, didn't say I didn't say this movie was great. I said it's the best one. <laughs> is, is, isn't Superman two the one where uh, where Zod shows up? Yep, General Zod. Yeah, Superman uh, two, in my opinion, is is the best. Superman. I think I think uh, most people would agree with you. Oh man, I I haven't seen one or two in a very 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 long time, so I wouldn't be able to say. But I would put I would put Superman Returns near the top for, for sure. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, I considering what we've what we've got to work with, it's probably in the top three for me. It, yeah, with an asterisk of of 
you know, there's that's not saying much, you know. Right. Superman, exactly. Superman one and two are good, but they are elevated by Christopher Reeve's performance and John Williams' music. Other than that, in my humble opinion, they don't have a lot going for them. Oh, and definitely. and so I didn't say I didn't. I hate them at, at all. It's just I don't think they've aged well as movies, and I think there's just a lot I do not like. Whereas this one is is got more going for it all around as a movie. It's got issues. It's way <laughs> too long. It's got pacing issues. It needs oh, to be edited. It's too long. And it's you know, so and, long. and and obviously Brandon Ralph is not Christopher Reeve, but he does a damn fine job in this movie, and I think he does a good job of replicating and doing his own version of that character and and doing justice. Unlike Henry Cavill, you know, all the Superman we've gotten so far, he's trying to literally be Christopher Reeve Superman. And I think he does a really great job with it, and he doesn't get to do a whole lot. Unfortunately, it is a movie that it's very, and I think that's by design. They were trying to make a movie that felt like it had been made in the 1970s, but it wasn't. But it just, with, for some reason, this movie feels so much longer than the original movies. Like, at least the original movies, like, it feels like something's happening all the time. And even though they are fairly long, whereas this one. It is a slog. It is, you know, no, it, not three and four. Oh my gosh, three well, and four are. I three and four slog even more than this one. No, I'm talking original movies. Superman one and two. I'm not even thinking about Quest for Peace or the Abomination that is Superman three. All right, not even talking about those. I mean, if you're comparing this with Quest for Peace, the thing that Quest for Peace has on this one is just the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> To be completely honest, this is like two movies put together. It I is. Mean, it really is. Like the first part of it is about his return and Metropolis getting reacclimated to his presence, and then the second half is him actually fighting a bad guy in Lex Luthor. Yeah. It's funny. the 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 biggest thing that I remember about this movie was is the the big, um, you know, plane crash at the beginning, which is incredible. I think probably one of the best Superman scenes we've ever gotten on film like With it's the baseball field and the crowd cheering when they land safely. it's it's incredible it's incredible but Dude. like i re- i remember i remember going like oh i love that scene at the beginning of the movie it's not at the beginning it's 45 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. and it's the first action scene we get with superman and that's just that's just a prime example of the pacing of this movie like that legitimately should have been like the first scene of the movie, but you've got all this set up with. Oh, you mean with, like? With, with, you mean like the beginning of Quest for Peace, where he saves the Russian astronauts? Yeah. <laughs> Don't even go there. Don't well, even go there, man. Well, the 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 pacing in this movie leaves a lot to be desired for sure. Because when you're watching the scene where uh, he where Superman comes down to fight Lex on that island that Lex makes. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but that's supposed to be the climax of the movie. And you're looking at the timeline and it says 45 minutes left. You're like, what are it's we like watching? It's like Return here? of the King or something like, except way less interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, cause it's like, it keeps hey, hey, like you hey, get hey, careful, careful. 
no, no I'm, this I'm, is I'm, way less interesting than Return of the I'm King. I'm praising Lord of the Rings. I'm praising Lord of the Rings in that, you know, it like you know, Return of the King is is known for like having ten different endings. But like at least they're all like really emotional, really, you know, heartfelt and really interesting. Whereas this just like just keeps going and going. And I like I get what they were trying to do, but like you gotta edit some stuff out. Like it feels like you know, it feels like this should have been a trivia thing. Like, oh yeah, there was a two-hour, thirty-three-minute runtime on the original cut of this movie, but they actually cut it down to where it was, it was manageable. But they didn't. Yeah, and I'll also mention this was. I think I've mentioned this before. This was the first Superman experience I ever had. I think. I mean, not experience. I think I saw some of the cartoons, but uh, this was the first live-action Superman movie I ever saw. Maybe so I have too. a little. I have a little bit of nostalgia for it because I I was roughly 11 or 12 when I first saw it. And um, I just kind of thought this was what Superman was. I had no concept of like the continuity or who's played Superman in the past or whatever. So Brandon Routh was technically my first Superman. And rewatching this, there were a lot of scenes like Ben, you mentioned the plane scene that mm-hmm. stick in my head and the scene where he's on the rooftop with the the guy with the gun, the gallon gun, and uh, who shoots him right in the eye. That sticks in my head. And all of these scenes by themselves, I think, are some of the best Superman scenes put to film. But unfortunately, they're put in a pretty boring movie. Yeah, they're, they're few and far between. Like you yeah. have excellent excellent scenes like the Gatling gun scene is amazing like it's really well done but it's like it's very short and it's you know it comes after long periods of you know just longing shots and in these you know a lot of brooding shots of <laughs> Superman just flying around and spying on people being kind of creepy to yeah. his ex-girlfriend and his maybe child maybe not yeah and it, the the scene on the rooftop, he gets shot in the eye. That's a cool scene. But I think what's even cooler about that scene is when he's just walking toward the Gatling gun and all the bullets are just bouncing off of him. And I just thought that was super cool. It was just like so cool. I don't know. I just like that. He truly embodied the concept of the man of steel during that sequence. Like yeah. literally everything about him down to the eyeball was impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And it was just on full display there. I will give you that scene was cool to watch. There were just some others that I had some issues with. Mm, yeah. Let's name one. Let's go. All right. Uh, let's let's just, for example, go with pretty much every scene involving Kate Bosworth. Really? <laughs> Could not stand her as Lois Lane. What a bitch. <laughs> I don't mind her. Like I get her. I get why she's upset, right? Like she starts falling in love with Superman, and then he's just gone. You know, she's she's a hundred percent allowed to be upset with Superman, if that was actually like within the context of the movies it's supposed to follow. If you remember at the end of Superman two, Superman wipes her mind, and she has no recollection of her feelings for Superman or Clark. Oh, so maybe only the first Superman is canon i don't, I don't know, know. Uh, is it is it i thought it was oh, i thought it was just the fact that clark was superman i don't i didn't know i didn't think it, she to, completely to me, wiped her memory to me oh, it yeah. looked like it it wiped her her feelings as well look let's like, let's face it that's a dumb plot point 
It's just dumb. It is. A kiss it is. that wipes your memory, it's dumb. But, like, and it's totally, like, open to interpretation, like, what he actually wiped. For I... continuity's sake, though, if you're trying to follow only a certain couple of films, then, no, it, it doesn't, no, it doesn't work. And, honestly, like, the type of questions that she's asking on the shuttle are, like, almost personal in nature, and... <laughs> And, like, remind me of terrible journalists that I've actually worked with before. People that aren't interested in the story. They're interested in becoming the story. And that's essentially what Lois Lane does. As a journalism major, I don't like Lois Lane's character, period. Because she's more about being in the story than covering the story. And it was on full-fledged display with Bosworth and her interpretation of, of Lois Lane. And it, it came back to bite her in the ass. It did because she wanted the story and she got her kid involved. She got her own son in harm's way because she wanted to be the big shot because she wanted another Pulitzer. She doesn't care about anybody else but herself. She is one of the most self-serving characters of any franchise that I've ever seen. She cares so much for the story that she doesn't care who gets in harm's way. And I think that is why ultimately Lois is so drawn to Superman because she knows it's okay to get him in harm's way and he doesn't have to suffer the consequences the way everybody else around her does. So, Zach, your favorite character is Lois Lane, I'm gathering. Hail to the no! <laughs> yeah. Hail it. to the no! I, I have been thinking about this since we started watching these franchises, like, since we've been watching anything of these. But Margot Kidder actually seems to show a little bit of compassion. But at Bosworth, she almost looks like she doesn't want a kid. Like, that's the way she yeah. treats her son. She almost treats him like an unfortunate accident in some instances. I mean, he kind of was an accident. Well, Yes, but you don't actually treat your kid like that. If you don't want the accident, there's this thing called adoption, dumbass. True. Uh, also, well, I had I, big what, prop- yeah, pawn off, pawn off a kid of steel off on a random, uh, random parent. That would be that would work out well. It, I, I would follow that story. I would watch that story. <laughs> that would be hilarious to watch. I had a big problem when when they were on the ship, and he, she offers to i forget what she says but she basically goes i'm gonna call my son a cab uh first of all how uh, old is he and you're just sticking him well in a, on a I, cab? Mean, like, I mean like, he, like, he's safe like like even in a in a, like a really shady cabbie safer than with lex luther so you know, I, again, I, I, but again she would rather stay with lex than go home to her family yeah well, she she prioritizes her herself and her story over her safety and her family. Well, I mean, she does this. She does the same thing in you know in the original movies. You know, you know, she goes she up kid? the Eiffel does Tower she have a and is she doing those things to her parents? She's a single woman living on her own in the first movies. This one, she's got a little bit more responsibility, and she seems to have no regard for it at all. I think she just likes to take risks for her work. I'm not saying it's a right thing to do, but uh, you know, she she seems more of a of a reporter than she is a family woman, and I think that's at the expense of don't, her family. They don't have a family. Exactly. 
You I think, use protection. I think it's just, That's what it's there for. They had condoms in 2006. I mean, I I would say it's I would say that is the, the way she acts, especially like she's got her kid. She's on the way to get her Pulitzer, and she just takes her kid with her to go, to sneak onto this boat to do whatever. Like and leaves her phone in the car. What person? What reporter leaves your cell phone in your car? <laughs> I, I would say that that's a very, like, it feels very, to me, it feels the very lowest lane, which is a bad thing. Because, it's like, convenient because, for another thing. Like, oh, she forgot her phone. Oh, we don't know where she is. It's just that it's a stupid move, and she shouldn't have done it. And it's it's something you expect, you know, 1970s or even, like, 1950s lowest lane to do because, oh, the women are stupid, and they just get themselves <laughs> into trouble, and Superman's got to go rescue God. her. Like that's oh, that's. God. I was I would what? like I would I like to. Not, I was not expecting misogyny to come into this episode. I was just calling her an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because that's just totally totally fine. Hey, hey, I, I have called any gender out for being a dumbass before. Okay, like it's <laughs> not explicit to women. There are people in movies everywhere that make stupid decisions. It just so happens that I think Lois is the one who makes the most stupid decisions in this film. But, I mean, I understand in the 1950s that you need someone to rescue or whatever, the whole damsel in distress stupid crap that the, they always go back to. But, like, this is a movie that was made in 2006. Come on. Like, yeah. give her a better reason to end up on that boat and not have her kid there. Like, I understand, like, it's cool. It's it's interesting. They keep oh, going you, back to, you know, you him. get there so he can have the piano scene with the guy with the head tattoos. <laughs> Who's seemingly nice, who sits down and, and has, you know, plays the piano with him, but then, you know, goes all evil there. And I, I don't know. It, I really liked that scene, actually. It added a little bit of humanity to, like, oh, look, this is just a uh, henchman of Lex Luthor. But, hey, he he knows how to play the piano. That's interesting. <laughs> he's got talent. He's evil, but he's got talent. I liked it. Uh, it added I, a little depth. I, no, that was the scene that should have been put on the cutting room floor. No, I think the whole it movie did. should have been the henchman playing the piano. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's just called The Henchman Playing the Piano. Yeah, yeah. Um I I like that scene. I can we talk about the biggest crime this movie commits? Absolutely. The biggest crime I think this movie commits, and this this I'm going I I, I think the number one crime this movie commits is just what every Superman movie commits is that how can you not tell that Clark Kent is Superman? That is just insane. Especially if you work with him, if you've been working with him for years, if you've met both Superman and Clark Kent on multiple occasions and have been, you know, one foot away from their face before and, oh, look, they combed their hair differently. Okay, I'm not counting that. That's the worst. But the second crime this movie commits is Superman disappears for how long? Five years. He's gone, right? Yeah. And Clark Kent also inexplicably disappears <laughs> for five years. Whoa, what a dink that both of them show up in town right on the same day. And and that this, is... This is... This is a place of investigative journalists desperate for a story. And it's like, oh, hey, welcome back, Kent. Go cover Superman for me. He just showed up, too. Yeah. Like, you don't put two and two together? Okay. It, it that's that's what 
I will give Man of Steel credit for that because they don't mess around. Lois Lane's not an idiot. Like, she figures it out immediately that Clark Kent is Superman. And it's not, a sec- not as big of a secret. Um, even though, even in that sense, it's like when Superman comes back <laughs> in Justice League, it's like, oh, well, Clark's back. You're, you're alive again, even though we thought you were dead. Oh, well, Superman's alive too, but we, we can't make the connection there. Yeah. I, I think that's the worst crime this movie commits. But I would also like to mention the biggest positive of this movie, in my opinion. I think that I thought the casting was pretty good all across the board. Um, I, re- I mean, for the most part, I really like Brandon Routh in the role. He, he really embodies that, like, you know, good old American truth, justice in the American way. He's very Boy Scoutish. I thought he he carried on the the legacy of Christopher Reeves pretty darn well. Um, but I think that casting Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor was awesome. It was an inspired choice. I think he did a great job. I think he may even be my favorite Lex Luthor. I, you know what, you know what, despite, despite what we know now about Kevin Spacey um, and, and about all that, and, and we're not going to get into that. And, you know, the fact that, you know, if this movie came out today, he would not be cast. Right. I agree with you. I think he does a pretty darn good. I think the Lex Luthor in this movie is interesting because they're obviously trying to take a a darker turn for it. He's not as like these, you know, not bumbling, but like just kind of very comic booky. You know, Gene Hackman is very just comic book villain. You know, he's all about, oh, real estate, I'm going to blow up people. And he just, he just. You know, he's going to launch nuclear bombs into the, the San Andreas Fault and, you know, mm-hmm. no big deal. I'm going to make a ton of money off of it. Like, that's his whole thing. It's along those same lines. It's a very campy, comic booky type of thing where, like, yeah, I'm going to develop an island in, in, in the Atlantic. More and, real you know, estate. Gonna... Yeah. Exactly. But it's got this more twisted, you know, kind of sinister edge to it. He's yeah. not got, you know, um, a wacky sidekick. He's got, you know, he's got he's got a wacky sidekick that plays the piano, but not right. one that's always getting himself into trouble. But uh, I like the performance. You know, there's a couple scenes there. You know, the the, the infamous wrong that that yeah. scene is a bit much. It's a uh, bit much. Good <laughs> but, <laughs> but the interesting but the interesting thing is he still stays true to the essence of Lex Luthor and what he goes for, which is which is ground, which is capital, which is which is power. He's yeah. not necessarily trying to defeat Superman as he is trying to conquer the capitalistic nature of the world and Superman tends to get in the way of that. Right. He doesn't he's not like I don't Lex Luthor is yeah, he's evil, but he's not evil in the sense that he loves killing people. He's he's like a, a serial killer. He just he's just greedy. He just yeah. he's just out for himself and he's out to make bank. He's and Superman stops him, so he hates Superman, and he doesn't care how many people he kills in the process. Mm-hmm. So I like that I, I like that Kevin Spakey, all credit to him, I think he really takes what Gene Hackman started and kind of takes it and runs with it and makes a really menacing villain because I don't know, I think maybe I understand the idea of bringing this all back, and this is really, I mean, I'm sure Superman Returns was supposed to be kind of a, a reboot of it. Obviously, they're probably going to do more if this had been more successful, if this had been a better movie. 
but it wasn't. And, you know, it seems like kind of a, a retread to kind of bring back all these characters. There's no new villain. There's no Atomic Man. There's yeah. no interesting villains like this. It's just, okay, we're going back to basics. Lex Luthor is the main villain, but he's more deadly in a way. I, and, you know, and he has all the previous knowledge of the previous movies, which is, you know, he knows where the Fortress of Solitude is. He goes back and gets the crystals, stuff like that. He's more, it's more of a sinister plot there. Yeah, and it was a cool idea, I think, like with the crystals. I didn't really understand the crystals, like why they were there, what was the purpose, yada, yada. Very ambiguous. But it was cool. Like it was a cool idea to like, hey, let's put the crystal in in this thing of kryptonite and make like a Superman-proof island, basically, and or your continent. And um, it, it just kind of made sense. You know, it was just like that whole concept just seems like something that they would come up with in the 70s or whatever when they were making those Superman movies. And it really does fall in line with the Gene Hackman, uh, Lex Luthor. I, I, I think the, th- I mean, I think Kevin Spacey sounds like, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. He looks like Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. I think the biggest thing that always bothered me about Gene Hackman is that in those movies, he didn't, I mean, he always had like hair as far as I know. And one of Lex Luthor's main staples is like being bald. Right. And so that whole wig thing in this was kind of like a nod to that. Like, yes, I'm the same Lex Luthor, but I'm, I don't have hair this time. It's just a wig. Well, yeah, I think he used a lot of wigs in the original one, too, I think. Oh, does he? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So here's here's my thought on, on Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Kevin Spacey as a person is just meant to be a villain. <laughs> think, think about it. In real life and acting. He, that's exactly it. Because he's so villainous and cringy in real life, he's able to embody the essence of those types of characters in his acting. Think about it. He plays the famous Dr. Evil in Austin Powers in Goldmember. Mm-hmm. He's the serial killer in the Brad Pitt Morgan Freeman movie Seven. He's a he's 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 this he's Lex Luthor in this film. He's obviously um, Francis Underwood, a really, really bad person in House of Cards. And then get this. He was even the voice of Hopper in A Bug's Life. (laughs) Oh, wow. Goes way back. This man is meant to be a villain. And it's because he's a villain in real life. There you go. Oh, man, he, just, okay. he, he just he just knows how to do it. You need a villainous role. Kevin Spacey can do it for you. We don't like him as a person, but he is a villain. I just looked up a picture of Gene Hackman uh, bald, and he, <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that he was bald, but he yeah he was bald. He um, it looks like they didn't even shave his hair though. Like you can see the makeup line of the bald cap they gave him. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Not a method yeah. actor. Just kidding. I think Gene Hackman was a method actor. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. But yeah, I will agree. It's a good one-two punch with, with Ralph and, and Spacey. Mm-hmm. My problem lies with Bosworth. It lies with uh, Marsden as a, as a typical white male. Like, there's no depth to Richard's character whatsoever. 
Uh, and it's just super convenient that he happens to be a pilot. Like, oh, yeah, Superman can fly. I'm attracted to a man who also flies. Like, what kind of bull crap is that? Um, yeah. And then here's here's the other one that I really, really struggled with. You know how there's always some sort of attractive young lady on the arm of Lex Luthor who's probably attracted to his money and his power more than him as a person. Mm-hmm. They cast Parker Posey as that person. I love Parker Posey. I love Parker Posey too, but she is not a sexy bimbo. No, she, I mean, she seemed like kind of a, she, yeah, like an airhead. She is a conniving, passive aggressive, villainous type of person. And if you've watched her as Dr. Smith in I was just going to mention that. Her role as Dr. Smith in Lost in Space is what Parker Posey was meant to play. She is not a a sexy, dim-witted bimbo like Kitty's character in Superman Returns. You have a whole range of, you know, not very deep actresses that could have played that role. And out of all the people that auditioned, you thought Parker Posey was the best fit for that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I looked at her and all I thought of was Dr. Smith. All I thought of was her cameo in Parks and Recreation, which had an amazing special yesterday, by the way. I saw some of it and I was very happy. Oh, my gosh. I love really want to see it. I loved seeing the gang back together again. Ben, even if you haven't watched all of Parks and Rec, you would be able to get the context of what happens in that special. Yeah. It, it was I've, I've so seen, yeah. It was I, so good. They sang and, the little Sebastian song. Oh, freaking spoilers, man. Sorry. That was the one thing I wasn't going to talk about. Oh, well, never mind. They don't. <laughs> well, now that the cat's out of the bag, I cried. Yeah. <laughs> like, I legit cried when I saw all 10 of them singing that song together. Like, you could tell just how much that cast loved each other and how much they loved that show. Because they were putting their heart and soul into singing a tribute song to a dead horse. Did you? Yeah. Did you see the post? I forget who posted it, but it was somebody who I think it was one of the writers who said that when they put out the email to all the cast members, every single one of them responded within 45 minutes. Yeah, I wrote that. Oh, did you? <laughs> when no, I that's funny. When I, when I, Whoops. When I when I shared when I shared the video this morning or or early this afternoon, that was like the caption that I put in the post was like, "Yeah, he wrote them, and they all responded in forty five minutes or less." They were like, "Yep, let's do it." Man, it what was am I on? like it was so cool, and they got like all these these extra characters in there as well. Whether it was during like commercial breaks or uh, having heard happily do some of the interviews or whatever like they really brought in a lot more people than i thought they would you and, heard with purred i posted a meme a couple of weeks ago not knowing that they were going to do this i posted a meme with purred happily with the caption that says the thing about covid19 is it's a virus <laughs> <laughs> oh my the thing God. about me is i'm a news reporter <laughs> no that's actually i think that's the name of his of his autobiography <laughs> he says, he's, I, th I think the caption of his autobiography is the thing about me is I'm purred happily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love purred. I 
freaking love that show. And I, and I love Parker Posey's appearance in that show. I did not care for her appearance as Kitty in this show. She just she just has so much more depth and so much more potential than what they utilized in her. Like even in previous Superman movies, they had some of those bimbo type actresses learning psychology and stuff behind Lex's back. Like they were proving that they were actually smart, capable, intelligent women. They were just hanging around with the wrong company. Yeah. And they didn't even do the courtesy of that with Parker Posey's character. Like I love I love her character in Lost in Space. Did not like her character in this. Yeah. Yeah, like the only I mean the only redeeming quality about her in this movie is that she does seemingly have a conscience. Yeah. which makes it really weird that she's hanging around with Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and a guy who literally just got out of prison, swindled an old woman out of her fortune and is now hellbent oh. on killing Superman oh. and millions of other people. Okay. Okay. Did anyone else gag? As Gertrude was dying, I don't even get the point of that scene. <laughs> oh my gosh, he when he got out of jail, he found the first old rich woman he could find, mm-hmm. and became her lover. Yeah, oh, no, you know I what? Age that. is just a number. Age is just a number. Yeah, well, when yeah, when she goes, you showed me pleasures I've never known. I was like, whoa, exactly. Exactly. Kevin Spacey and that old woman? Good yes. lord. Yes, exactly. Man, he's a creep even in this movie. Jeez. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That whole thing where she's like, I love you so much. You've shown me pleasures I didn't know I could experience. Yeah, at this age. Like, oh my. Oh, and by the way, by the way, Brian Singer directed this movie. Oh, also, man. also a real life creep. Um, I just think we just need to there. get off the podcast and go take a shower, people. <laughs> yeah, basically. I need a bath. Oh my gosh. In hand sanitizer. Hey, that no, is, there's not any. That's at a premium right now, buddy. If you do that, it's going to cost you $3 a pump. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Stay my inside God. and wash your hands, people. Golly. Um, but uh, also, you mentioned James Marston earlier. Poor guy. Poor guy. He, he okay. always gets the shaft in these movies. He wasn't given much to work with. I will give he, you that. He wasn't. I mean, like, even in the X-Men movies, like, yeah. he's there and he has a has a good part. Like, he's great in that role. And I'd actually love to see him come back in as, as Cyclops in the MCU. But, like... And he just killed off in the most like, mm-hmm. anticlimactic way possible. Like, come on, James, give James Marsden some credit here. He's a good actor. Uh, yeah. He like okay, yeah. Mm. I think he's got the looks of Rob Lowe without the charm. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, that's burn. After, after seeing Rob Lowe last night, I would be okay seeing him in the X Men. Rob You're Lowe. saying Rob Lowe as Cyclops, as 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 a gray at the temple Cyclops, so a little more experienced one. Put him in the MCU and say that there's a time differential between universes. I don't care. I've really grown to love Rob Lowe. I don't know if you guys have seen The West Wing at all, but he plays Sam Seaborn on that. He's the White House uh, uh, speechwriter, and he is so good in that. I, I I really know him best from Parks and Rec, but he also has a guest appearance on the Orville, and he's got his own nine one one series set in Texas now. Wow, it's got a lot going for him. 
he yeah he, well okay did y'all see his appearance at the nfl football game where he's wearing an nfl ball cap no <laughs> it's just the logo for the nfl it's not any particular team like, <laughs> like i'm here because i love football yes yes and it it was hilarious because he took it in stride and he actually made a post where he's like in chris traeger voice where he's like i just love sports everybody <laughs> is awesome go team <laughs> i feel like he's just like a toned down chris traeger in real life he probably is, and that's probably why he did such a great job as Chris in the show. But oh, I am my... literally at a football game right now. I am literally having so much fun at this football <laughs> game. The 49ers are awesome. The Packers <laughs> are awesome. Football is amazing, and we are all here. Go team. <laughs> my body is like literally like a microchip. One grain of sand could compromise the whole system. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. I'm sorry. I got on a Rob Loesch stick because I prefer him over James. <laughs> Poor James Marston. I will say again. Poor yes. Marston. Okay, really quick. Do you want to hear some alternate casting choices here? Yes. I just discovered. Sure. Um, so for Lois Lane, of course, you've got Kate Bosworth, who, 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 uh, Zach absolutely loves and would never change in a million years. Okay. But uh, mm. we could have gotten Claire Danes or Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell would have been. Carrie Russell. I would have liked to have seen that. Um, apparently, Daniel Cudmore was auditioning. I don't even know who that is. He auditioned for the role of Superman. Um, apparently, Brandon Ralph, which is kind of ironic now, he auditioned for the role of Superman in Smallville, wow. but lost it to Tom Welling. Really? And then came back around and uh, got to play Superman in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths alongside Tom, Tom Welling. Right? So oh, wow. that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, apparently, Hugh Laurie was in the running to play Perry White. Wow. I love Hugh point. I would have been okay with that. He would have fit that role pretty well. Yeah, I think he would have done good. I would, I would, Hugh Laurie in a superhero movie, any type, I think that Please, should be. Please, I wanted that to happen. to you at some point. He um, needs, you to were ta- be, needs to be a scientist like Eric Selvig. Yeah. Yeah, I would he, totally be down for that. I, he would almost be a really, really good uh, uh, Reed Richards. Like, I know, I know everybody wants, um, oh, what's his name? Jim from The Office to be Reed Richards. I would also love that very much. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Um, I think that's about it. Um, I was just looking down because this is what w- Wikipedia had, and of course, take it with a grain of salt. But I think this is pretty well, um, going off of the truth. But a uh, few few interesting ones in there. Um, I-, I would like to learn more about this movie because I, you know, um, obviously there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, and the fact that this is a, you know a sequel to the original movies, but also one that tried to restart it and didn't. So required a full on reboot after this, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, 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 what I think is in a lot of ways, a lesser movie. I'm yeah. gonna say that we'll, we'll get to man of steel one day, but I think, I don't Not know. There's next. a lot. I have, I have a lot, I have a lot of issues with that one. So you know what I, this movie, go ahead, Jake. Oh, I was just going to say, 
you know what I would like to see is a movie, a Superman movie that has the the realisticness, if that's a word, of uh, of Man of Steel with the color of the Christopher Reeve Superman. You know, I want that lightheartedness to it. Bring back the underpants, the red underpants. That would change everything. That really would. Uh, just mm. okay. Um, this movie, I'm looking at the box office mojo titles. Uh, according to them, it had a $270 million budget. Man. $270 million budget. I'm going to give y'all an over under for how much this movie made worldwide. And you can't look it up. All right. The over under for its, uh, for its, worldwide gross this is including domestic so it's worldwide plus domestic their total that they made over their release from june to november that's how long it was in theaters the over under i'm going to put it at is 450 million dollars i'm going to go under i mean you don't reboot an entire thing after i i I don't think this could have been that successful i think under two I probably should have put it at 400. But it, it? it was actually 391. Oh, wow. wow. So pretty wow. close. But Which, I mean, what was the budget again? 271? 270. 270? Okay. So and it, it made 391. So it netted only 121 million. Yeah. So Obvi- obviously, w- w- the reason why we don't have Superman Returns again. Mm-hmm. We don't have the, the sequel because of well, that. And marketing is about half the budget, I hear, so it didn't even break even. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy. That is that is crazy. And and you know, and this we obviously probably had so much goodwill going into it. It was it was, you know, a long awaited sequel and this was you know, coming after all of that and all the drama and all, you know, the sequels that nobody likes that are obviously really bad. Right. And then, and just all the tragedy around that, the fact that, you know, you, you have the seemingly, the Superman curse <laughs> was a thing. And Christopher Reeve, you know, God rest his soul. I mean, you know, he, he what he went through after those movies and, um, you know, bringing it back. And I think, Really casting it well. I know there's 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 some complaints there, and they're and they're worthy. But I think you get Brandon Ralph. You you've got the look. You've got someone who can portray that. No, no one is Christopher Reeve, but Brandon Ralph's pretty darn close. Pretty close. And and I, I appreciated his performance. And I, I, I like I said, I loved seeing him back in Crisis on Infinite Earth. So like, I think overall they did pretty well. It just hire a different editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Leave way more than cutting room. It did not need to be two hours and thirty minutes long. No, it did not need to be that long. And you know, you could have told the same story in much less time. And I don't know. I'm not even saying like add anything to it. Like realistically, if you're going to redo this movie, like okay, it needs needs a bit more action. You know, you know, move the story plot along for faster, whatever. But like, just take some stuff out. I don't even think. I don't even think like the the setup with Lex and the old woman, which is now right ruined for me, um, because I now you you know, you now pointed out how creepy that is. But the like, pleasures, Ben. The pleasures. But you just you don't need that. You don't need. I like. I just assume that Lex is just a 
like a billionaire and he's he's got fortunes and he gets out of jail and of course he'd have a yacht and stuff like that. You don't need to explain that. Yeah. But yet they spend the first scene of the movie doing that and it's just ridiculous. I mean that's just one of the campy aspects, you know. I think they I think they probably just wanted to stay as true to the Christopher Reeve Superman as possible while adding some more modern elements and also just trying to be lighthearted and have kind of a good time and not take itself too seriously. And I think that that left some room for some kind of weird stuff. Weird stuff indeed. Well, I guess unless there's like another particular scene that you guys have in mind, um, this might be a good place to take a short break, read some trivia and then give our final thoughts. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's what we're going to do then. We will be back in just a moment to wrap up our discussion on 2006's Superman Returns here on the IPC podcast, broadcasting live on Facebook and channel 1138.com and available on all streaming platforms that you can find a podcast on, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Pretty sure we're on uh, Podbean, which distributes to other places as well. Those are some of the primaries. Go find us there if you're not listening uh, live. We've got ways that you can listen to us throughout the course of the week. But we'll be back in just a second to wrap up our thoughts on Superman Returns. This is IPC. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars Underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh?
All right, we have returned from that ad break here on the IPC podcast. And uh, guys, I want to I want to toss a little bit of trivia to you that I found on IMDb before we give our final thoughts. Hopefully this doesn't taint your score or anything like that. But there were some interesting things that happened um, during the course of this film that uh, were, were actually rather interesting. Did you know that uh, Singer actually rejected a script before they went with this one? And the rejected script was written by J.J. Abrams. I heard about this. Uh, the infamous Superman flyby. Uh, which there, w- there is some of that, and then there's also just uh, uh, some of this that just sounds absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know what J.J. was smoking in, 2000, in the early 2000s, but I'm glad he ended up in the Star Trek universe instead. Uh, raised as Midwestern teen Clark Kent... Uh, uh, the reimagined Superman is having him sent to Earth as a baby to avoid the impending civil war between King Jor-El and his brother. Uh, being, uh, ra- being raised in Kansas and in love with his high school sweetheart, Lois, Superman becomes humanity's defender when his uncle invades Earth and he's aided by CIA agent Lex Luthor, who oh. is actually... A Kryptonian in disguise. What? Damn. The film ends with Superman returning to Krypton to rule over his people after the death of his father. Wow. Wow. So, so... not only not only does he not meet Lois at the planet, not only is Luther his ally instead of his enemy, but he doesn't even stay on Earth at the end of the film. He returns... Yes, but not to Earth. He returns to Krypton. That's crazy. I I I've always heard about that script, but I I, I never knew like what was all in there. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. It's, you know what's interesting? Another J.J. Abrams reference, or or a connection, I should say. Did you notice the opening titles of this movie? Oh God! Yes. Did you notice the, all the planet hopping and they're flying through planets, all this kind of stuff? What did that remind you of? The Next Generation. Ah, uh, Star Trek. J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. The end credits of yes. those movies, especially the first. I'm one. just going to assume one, that Abrams just flat out ripped that off of Superman's <laughs> Returns. Could be. Could be. I bet you five bucks that's what happened. I bet you it's six bucks. <laughs> I'll bet you seven bucks. Oh snap! I oh, got, getting in the I big bucks got, now. I just got paid today. I'll make it eight. <laughs> oh jeez! I can't go that high. Um, I I I thought one of the best slash worst lines in the movie was uh, the scene when they're looking at the photographs of Superman in the office in Perry White's office, and uh, Jimmy Olsen produces his photo, and it's just like a little blip in the sky, and. <laughs> and <laughs> Perry Wade's like, what is this? And he's like, look in the, look there in the sky. And it's a bird. It's a, plane. Like, it's a bird. It's a plane. And he's like, no, look, it's and then Clark walks in. <laughs> I, was, I love that. I wanted I to it. laugh. I wanted to clap and be like, really? At the I same. wanted to I wanted to give the bird to that scene, but okay. Um here's here's the one that really got to me. Uh apparently one of the other auditionees for the role of Lois Lane was 
Amy Adams. Mm. Really? Probably oh, a better was... move to do the Man of Steel one. She she's she, uh she was pursuing that role, I guess, for she, a long time. She, she was after it and she finally nabbed it in Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice, but it took her seven years. Uh-huh. And you know what? Amy Adams is a great actress and she's great as Lois Lane. She's I'll give great. Her that. I love her. I was not her biggest fan when I first saw the movie, but now that I've seen this movie, I actually have more appreciation for Amy Adams as Lois Lane. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see a really good Amy Adams movie, Arrival. Arrival with yeah. Jeremy Renner. That is a good movie. Yes. That is a good movie. I The one where uh, Lois Lane and Hawkeye sees, uh, go go talk to some aliens. Pretty yep. much. That's basically how the movie goes. But that doesn't mean I like it any less. <laughs> I mean, Superman <laughs> is basically Lois Lane talking was, to aliens. Dude, it was very... It was very cerebral, though. Like it, the cerebral nature of that movie, in my opinion, was on par with the cerebral nature of Inception. Yeah. Wow. Like yep. very thought provoking, very well done. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's the last little bit of trivia before we go to final thoughts on our planet score. There was a break in on the set during filming, in mm. which the crew's walkie talkies were stolen. Forcing what? to pause production. And the pranksters used those walkie-talkies to listen to the conversations being held once they got new ones. For some reason, the directors didn't think to change frequencies. They stayed on the What? S- they didn't yeah, they stayed on the same frequencies. And so while they were while stunt sequences, not even like emotional sequences, stunt sequences were being filmed. The pranksters would say things like cut an action into the walkie-talkies, causing stuff to happen and stop happening in the middle of production. That's amazing. You are kidding me. And these are the. I, I was thinking at first, I'm like, these are dumb pranksters. Why are they stealing walkie-talkies? And then I realized they're the best pranksters in the history of ever. It could be causing, like, thousands of dollars in <laughs> delays. Think about it. They can't see anything. They're just sitting in their house going... Caught. Well, but there's a there's a certain range that those walkies can go to. They might have been close enough to be able to see something. Mm. Probably it was probably an inside job. It's probably somebody that worked there. <laughs> it might have been. But according to this report, it says the mischief almost caused serious injury because they were stunt sequences. With the night's Ooh. filming centering on a Mustang car jumping down the streets and landing between the extras. You know that one where where Kitty's in the car and the brake lines have been cut? Yeah. Stuff like that? Yeah. It was during the shooting of that. Oh man, you can imagine that was an intense scene to shoot, right? And then you because you can tell it's real. It's not like it's not like a CG car. Like they're actually like throwing a car at people. Yeah, exactly. And people are yelling like "cut" and "action" and using like certain filming phrases that they learned through the other exchanges they heard on the walkies. They're using those phrases on the walkie-talkies. So like, imagine if like Parker Posey's got a headset on and she hears action and nobody else hears action she's driving and the extras don't know that she's supposed to start and they're just standing there waiting for something to happen and then it just starts happening without their knowledge yeah that's insane like that that's the part that really that really gets to me it was they put they put people in danger with that and it was it was it was weird 
did they check Kevin Spacey's trailer? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No. Don't think they did. But they... Kevin Spacey's, oh, you know, it's like it happened to happen like any time Kevin Spacey was offset, and they're like, oh boy, what'd you do? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and go into our final thoughts for the evening. The things that we thought about this movie, what we liked, we didn't like, and, uh, you know, just kind of close out this part of the discussion uh jake you get to start us off brother okay i think the biggest detriment this film gives us is uh it's runtime you know it was just uh once you got to an hour and a half two hours you're like okay you can wrap up now and it just doesn't wrap up you've got so much more time left and i think a, a good third of this movie could have been cut out um it was a little campy not that i mind that a lot of people say campy like it's a bad thing i enjoy campiness i don't mind um but you know a lot of people look at that as negative i'm not necessarily looking at it as negative it's it's fun in parts i think i think there's a lot of good superman-y stuff in here that you want to see in a superman movie um, a lot of it is uh, kind of rehashing stuff from other Superman movies and just scenes like like taking Lois and, and flying and and uh, I don't know, just little things here and there that you're like, OK, I've seen this somewhere I, before. I almost forgot that scene. I was half expecting like Superman to start singing. I can sh- show you the world. <laughs> and. I will say that, like, just because it's a rehash doesn't mean that this one doesn't do it better. I think this one does it better than, than a lot of but I, I think overall this movie was just too long. It was a little bit too boring. Um, but I do think a lot of the casting was well done. I I don't necessarily think there was too too many instances of like bad acting in here i thought the acting was pretty good but it definitely suffers from the script for sure so um i think my final planet score for this is going to be like a 6.5 um which isn't terrible but it's not like great either so it's kind of right there in the middle okay that's pretty fair uh ben i'm gonna mix things up and and i'm gonna go and let you finish this off if that's okay with you that's fine I, i'm not offended at all at all when when i when i delegate things like that i don't want to make it feel like i'm trying to have like the final word on anything because i really sometimes don't have a final word to give and no, no i know exactly how you feel of course i do <laughs> well and i also feel like we need to end things on a higher note than what i may end things on <laughs> and <laughs> i feel like this is the best one I feel like it's kind of like you know right, where I'm going with this. I feel like it's kind of right in the middle there. I had more, I like, uh, okay. Here, here's my way, my criterion of of being able to uh, tell how good something was or was not. When I watched the Clone Wars episode uh, Shattered, I put my phone down and was like, "People can live without me for 27 minutes. I can, and I can live without people for that long. They'll be fine." I'll be fine. When I was watching this movie and I rented this movie, I didn't, I didn't Johnny Depp it. I, I didn't, I didn't Jack Sparrow it. I got my terms mixed up. I didn't Jack Sparrow this. I rented it for about three fifty, 
and I still ended up on Tinder. <laughs> I I would rather be swiping left and right than be watching this movie. And that that's just like you said, Jake, it's too long for one thing. There's just so much in it and so much of it is filler. It's just unnecessary. It's egregious to a certain extent. I do like Brandon Routh. I do like Kevin Spacey. I'm not saying that in the context that I like him as a person. I liked his performance in this movie. I've got to be very clear about this so people don't use a pull quote on me and be like, oh, Zach Arnold from IPC says he likes Kevin Spacey. I like Kevin Spacey. Yeah. (laughs) I like him in the context of the Lex Luthor character that he portrayed. Um I also found it really interesting that he seduced an old woman so that he could get a boat and a helicopter. Like, you you could have just robbed a place and gotten that. Come on. I mean, dude. I don't know. But Maybe he's into the older women. I don't... Then explain Parker Posey. True. <laughs> oh, which, again, please explain Parker Posey to me. Why was she the <laughs> one that was cast? Uh, like, I, I'm not as thrilled about the cast. I like the top two, and then everything else is just kind of, eh. I like some of the action sequences, like the bullet to the eyeball. That was pretty cool. Um, But the thing that I think really gets to me the most is that this movie doesn't really have a conclusion. They were trying to leave it open-ended so that if it was well-received, it could receive another sequel. But Lex doesn't get arrested. He doesn't die. He just gets stranded on a desert island. And Superman doesn't get the girl. He doesn't, you know, get the prize. He doesn't get the notoriety. He just kind of flies off into the night after stalking his potential son. Like, there's there's no wrap-up to it. It's just like, oh, that's what happened in this two and a half hours you just wasted. Congratulations. There is no epilogue. There's no conclusion. There does, there's no way of putting this up in a neat little bow and making you feel good about the time you just invested in this film. It's just, pfft, you're done. Yeah. Cut to the music. And I I like a movie that has some sort of resolution to it. It didn't feel like this movie resolved itself. And with that, and with some of the, the corny nature of it, and Francisco in the chat on Channel 1138 put a, a very interesting spin on it that I hadn't considered. He says, Batman Begins came out a year before this movie did. Wow. And I'm a much bigger fan of Batman Begins and how that went down compared to how this movie has turned out. Like 14 years later, this movie's really showing its age. And I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah. So I, I did enjoy some parts of it. I enjoyed some of the writing. I enjoyed some of the action. I enjoyed bits and pieces of different sequences and felt like some others could have been longer or shorter. But it's not the best Superman movie that I've watched, and it's not the worst. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a a six out of ten. There you go. Fair enough. And you know, I, I even though I have a higher opinion of this movie, I, I agree with a lot of things you're saying there. And you know, I, I you know this movie is not perfect. Like I said off the top, it's it's not fantastic. It's an okay movie. It's an enjoyable movie. Here's the thing. Just for me personally, I actually enjoyed watching this movie. I know it's kind of boring in places, but I just I did get a lot out of it. And and I this was my first time kind of sitting down and watching it in full. I'd seen it 
bits and pieces of it, certain parts of it kind of on TV or whatever, but I never actually sit down and watch the whole thing. And I wasn't all that bored by it. I really wasn't. I, I, I genuinely kind of got sucked into it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So I think that's kind of my whole thing with just, you know, having a higher opinion of it because I legitimately enjoy it. And I still say I, I think it's one of the best, if not the best, out of all of them. I don't think we've – my point is I don't think we've gotten a very good Superman movie yet. I no, really don't. Not. I don't either. Based on because if, if, if Man of Steel is the peak, then no, we have not. Because the, the original films, all credit were credits due to those films. They had amazing special effects. They had Christopher Reeve's performance. They had John Williams' music. They had everything going for them, but they just didn't age well. They yeah. did not age well at all. And I understand from a film perspective, from a historical perspective, from a nostalgia perspective, those films will always hold a special place in people's hearts. And I'm, I'm not trying to change their opinion at all. But just as a person who didn't grow up with those movies, who just watching these movies as an adult, I would way... I am way more likely to go back and watch Superman Returns than I am any of the original films. And that includes Superman 2 and Superman 1, the movie. Like, and I don't think those are necessarily bad movies, but they're just, they're really campy. They're really just wacky. And I, the, the type of film that it is, I'm just, I'm not a fan of. Um, I like the performances. As I said, Christopher Reeve is amazing. John Williams is amazing. But other than that, it's not. This movie, at least... It has the music. It has a great performances. I think most all the way around, and it's really just the the biggest problem with it is the pacing. is is that it's way too long. It really could have been a much shorter film, and it does show for it. As in, you know, the opening plane sequence that should have been the start of the movie. Like that's a huge bit, and that's a great way to start the movie. But it doesn't. It takes so long to get there, and I think. A lot of it was nostalgia reasons. They had to set up Lex Luthor. They had to go back to Smallville. I don't think that's... I don't think Martha Kent showing up affected the plot at all. Like, she has one good moment with her son, like, and that's it. I don't... And then she shows up at the end. Yeah. Like, she doesn't have a whole lot Which, to do. I never got that. I never understood why she just happens to randomly show up at the end of the film. Like, oh, hi, Martha. Like, yeah, because you never you've never seen her in Metropolis before. No. Like she just shows up randomly, no. um, and you know, so like I liked her inclusion, but it wasn't necessarily the plot. I think there was a lot of we got to make this movie like the old ones. We got to do it. And I think they were trying too hard to make it like a nostalgia, nostalgic kind of throwback movie, and none of them about making an actual good movie that modern audiences will enjoy because they didn't, and that's the problem. So I think it's just. It's it's a movie that maybe would have gotten you know a lot more praise back in the day if it had been made in 1970. Of course, the special effects were really would have been really amazing back then. True, but uh, you know it's as a movie that has modern special effects. It's clean. It's 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 a really good looking movie. It's a great sounding movie, and it's a well acted movie. I like it from that, but it's still got a lot of extra baggage. It's got a lot of issues and just some kind of nonsensical plot stuff that I think, you know, I would love to see someone like, I would love to see a, a different cut. We've got different cuts of the original movies. Make a different cut of this one. Hey, I'm, uh, what, what's his name? Give me, the, um, give me the Snyder cut. Yeah, Snyder cut. I want, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Venom. 
Um, Topher Grace. <laughs> I want his cut. He needs to. He's he's a he's a famous editor. Why don't you edit this one down and see how it, how it works as a a ninety eight minute movie? <laughs> there you go. So did we get a score? No, we didn't. Um, I guess I should I should I should stop rambling and say that I'm going to give this one an eight out of ten. Oh wow. damn. Oh, damn. So we got a 6, a 6, 5, and an 8. And if you're listening live, either on Facebook or Channel1138.com, there's still a little bit of time to send us your planet scores, your rating out of 10 for this movie. We may take ratings for uh, for the Clone Wars arc next week as well, so make sure that you've got that rolling around in your head for next week's episode, figuring out how you'd rate the the final episode and maybe just the final arc of the Clone Wars. But if you've got a rating right now, for Superman Returns from 2006 out of 10, put it in the chat on the live feed, either on channel1138.com or on facebook.com slash podcast, and we will add it to our database. Uh, I think it's probably pretty obvious what the quote of the night should be, uh, but maybe it's not as obvious as I think it is. I don't know. what I my mind is blank right now, so please I, give us your obvious answer. I, w- I was figuring the the rooftop interview between Lois and Superman. There you go. There you go. It, and it's a Lois scene, which I didn't expect you to go there. So it, it, uh, it is. Yeah. It's it. Well, okay, but it's because of Christopher Reeve, not Christopher Reeve, uh, Brandon Routh. Routh yeah. Routh does a really good job, and he's always done a good job of handling the media, and and being that that figurehead. He even pulled like a Christopher Reeve type moment. That's why I, I really enjoy his performance because he reminds me so much of of Reeve in the sense that like when he does the airplane sequence, he's like, I hope this hasn't turned you off to flying. Statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel. Like That's a, di- that's a direct quote from the original movie. Like, I love it. It's straight out of Christopher Reeve's stuff that he does when he's talking to crowds. Like yep. it, it's such a PR stunt, but it's so in character. It was fantastic but yeah i mean those types of of dialogue sequences are still some of the best pieces of writing even if it's not executed very well by some of the of the characters um i i have problems with kate bosworth but i i did like her her interaction and her interview and her her vulnerability with superman during that sequence so um if you guys are okay with that we'll just plug that as tonight's quote of the night yeah. Sounds great. All right. Well, I'm going to shut up and we're going to shut up and let you guys have a listen to it. And we'll be right back. You know, you really shouldn't smoke, Miss Lane. Sorry. Didn't mean to startle you. No, I'm fine. Really. Just wasn't expecting you. With all the press on the plane, I wasn't sure it was the best time for us to talk. Well, there's no press around now. Except for me, of course. I know some people are asking a lot of questions now that I'm back. I think it's only fair that I answer those people. So, you're here for an interview? Okay, then. Where did I put that thing? The right pocket. Let's start with the big question. Where'd you go? To Krypton. But you told me it was destroyed ages ago. It was. Well, when astronomers thought they found it, 
I had to see for myself. Well, you're back, and everyone seems to be pretty happy about it. Not everyone. I read the article, Lois. Yeah, so did a lot of people. Tomorrow night, they give me the Pulitzer. Why did you write it? How could you leave us like that? I moved on. So did the rest of us. That's why I wrote it. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. Lois, will you come with me? Why? There's something I want to show you. Please. said the reason you left without saying goodbye it's because it was too unbearable for you personally i think that's a load of crap clark this is the guy i work with maybe clark's right all right well that was a really fun quote of the night and it's been a fun episode but i almost forgot to thank the people who helped make this episode possible so i'm gonna do that really quickly before i forget uh, a thank you to Joey Mays, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott, Carrie Fleming, and our very own Jake Damon for investing in this show. And if you're interested in doing that, you can do so at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a support button or a sponsor button, something like that. Maybe a patron button. I forget what it is. I don't go to my own website often enough. I really should. Uh, but there, there is a, a patron button, I think is what it is over at ipcpodcast.podbean.com, pod like podcast, podcast, green. I need to start that whole thing over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually good with the words, but I am not tonight. ipcpodcast.podbean.com, pod like podcast, bean like green bean ipcpodcast.podbean.com There, I said it. <laughs> you can also find us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is what has been scrolling across the bottom of your screen the entirety of this episode on Facebook. And you can also follow us personally on various platforms. We'll get to that in a little second. And uh, we've got swag available at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. About 40% of what you put into T Public comes right back to helping take care of the show. So we've got T-shirts and coffee mugs and notebooks, and I think we got like little miniature pillows on there. Stuff with our logo, stuff with the barbecue watch hashtag, which is coming up in just a second here, and all of that's available on that spot as well. Yeah, indeed. 
Okay, well, as I mentioned, it's time for that last segment, that barbecue-related segment. There's nothing in the show notes, so, uh, Jake, you get to add Libet tonight as we oh, bring no. everybody into the final segment of the evening. If you're listening live on channel1138.com or on Facebook, then go ahead and start putting it in the chat. And if you're not, then be sure to use that hashtag on all those social media platforms I just mentioned because it is time, one last time, well, not last time, one more time. It's time again for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 So, Jake, I know I put you on the spot. Have you got something for our barbecue theme discussion to close out the evening? I do. I Googled uh, barbecue facts because I literally have nothing that's coming to mind. I love how we just developed this new rule just on the spot where if if we can't come up with something, we just throw it to Jake. and like, okay, dude, bail us out. Arbitrarily decide. No, this is going to be a random process. Be like next week. Okay, Ben, you get to do the barbecue story this week. <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, who invented the barbecue? Do either of you know this? Invented the barbecue? Well, apparently this is about the guy who opened the first barbecue business. Oh, so this, oh. Is, like a, this is like a history lesson. Yeah, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you a guess here. Um, uh, uh, let's do an under over. So you got to guess if it's under or over a year that I give you that the first barbecue restaurant opened. Okay. Okay. Was this earlier or later than the year 1900? The Nin first barbecue restaurant. 1900. So we're talking, you know, you know, either 18, 1700s or 1900, so Did you on. say 18, 1700s? <laughs> I don't know. I think you did say that, this but point. I know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> barbecue was first invented in the 1870s. I'm saying, do you think that the first barbecue restaurant opened before the year 1900 or after the year 1900? I'm going to. Go. I'm going to say under. Under. Zach? I'm going to go under as well. All right. Would you believe that the first barbecue restaurant opened a full 70 years before the year 1900? In the year 1830, a oh, guy wow. named Skilton Dennis opened what is believed to be the first barbecue business in the U.S. in Aden, North Carolina. Um, and then... Many years later, in Elgin, Texas, in 1882, a German-American, William J. Moon, began butchering meat and delivering it around town. Uh, and I think that was barbecue as well. So I, I am surprised that it opened up that long ago. Oh, man. I'm trying, I'm trying, that's way back. I'm trying to find Elgin on the map because I forget where it is. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, it's just 
east of our state capital of Austin. Oh, there you go. Okay. But it's it's a very it's a very small town. Like it's one of those you're driving down the state highway for like five miles and you're through town. Like that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. Very very small. I'm trying to see if I can find the population for it because now that you're mentioning something in Texas, I'm like hyper fixated on it. I'm like, ooh, tell me more about Elgin, please. Let yeah. me see. Uh, da, 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 da. Registered population as of 2018 is 10,207. So it's not that big. No, it's a very, very small town. Like if it if it was around, when did you say that other dude was delivering meat? Was uh, that was 1884, I think. So from 1884 to 2020, the city has grown all the way to 10,207. Or 1882, actually. Okay. Wow. Yeah, big difference. Like a whole... Two people? Yeah. Whole... Two... Oh, sorry. Two years. A whole, a whole two people per year have... <laughs> were born yeah. during that time span. But uh, no, I did not realize it went all the way back to 1830. Um, but it doesn't surprise me because like meat is such a common thing to consume. Like, I mean, for yeah. crying out loud, they, they had... They had meat on Thanksgiving with when, when the when the pilgrims, you know, landed at Plymouth. There was meat at the Thanksgiving dinner. You know, right. there there were sacrificial lambs that were that were uh, being prepared in biblical times. Like, yeah, it, well, there's evidence of types of barbecue being around like thousands of years ago. Like not not barbecue as we know it. Obviously, that's like evolved over time. But just the concept of like putting meat on you know over a fire and spicing it up a little making it a little tastier mm -hmm. that concept has has definitely been around for a long time so we've yeah. got we've got historical justification for talking about barbecue we're not yes. just talking about food we're talking about history it's like a staple of America. humanity it's true we're we are doing a public service by talking about barbecue in this type of depth. Yeah. Do you really think our ancestors would have survived if they didn't know how to barbecue? They didn't know how to take raw meat that they caught in the wild and turn it into barbecue. You think they would have survived? Hell no. No way. The only reason we're standing here right now podcasting, we are standing on the backs of our barbecuing ancestors. Yep. But and, did you also think that at some point our ancestors stopped what they were doing and thought, I wonder if people will sit around their living quarters and talk to each other over great distances of hundreds of miles and discuss in depth the process that I am going through right now? Yeah, on this on this mythical devices, the, the boxes that allowed them to speak to each other um, – that these hypothetically could happen in the next few hundred years. Hmm. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure they had a fascinating discussion. I'm, I'm sure their imaginations were running wild while they were slow cooking their cows in their backyard. <laughs> you know what? Speaking, we can we talked about Star Trek last week and Star Trek has a lot to say about the future, especially when Star Trek is over 50 years old now. And it was in the past talking about the future mm -hmm. and it predicted a lot of things from the future. It did. Um, so I want is, their barbecue in Star Trek, is there any mention of it? Is there a thing in Star Trek where they, like, talk about, or, you know, what barbecue might have been like in the future? 
I'm just curious. Googling now. I'm trying to think. I I don't recall. The first because... result was a grill in the shape of the uh, Enterprise. So there's that. Uh, oh yeah. You Star yeah. Trek. You're just doing Google searches now, Jake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would I would think not because unless you're watching Enterprise, there's or or Voyager, there's really not a whole lot of food preparation that goes on most of it is synthesized it's mm. it's 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 generated proteins that come out of a, a dispensary in the wall that are made to look smell and taste like whatever food you ordered it from and so like they're they're trying to use technology to create and dispose of meals for you and you just get the essentials um uh, mm. I do know that there is Creole food in Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's wow. that's really? probably the closest we get is classic New Orleans style Cajun Creole food gets discussed heavily in Deep Space Nine because the main character's dad runs a restaurant in New Orleans. Wow. So wow. that's cool. Creole and Cajun food is in Star Trek, yes. But I'm not sure about barbecue yeah that's creole's close it's you know it's in the ballpark it's pretty close it's it's not as good as barbecue but it's pretty close crossing creole with barbecue now that's a topic when we just discuss one that that is something for you to discuss i'm not a big fan of seafood unfortunately yeah, and see, it's 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 a way of life down here. I believe so it. I can I can I can talk I can talk. I that I hundred percent sure. believe that. I just also hundred percent believe that the shrimp you're putting in my gumbo belongs on the end of a line catching a real fish. Oh man, <laughs> shrimp are the best, man. My, Come my on. My mom calls them sea maggots. I call them a delicacy. See, Jake. Jake is a man of culture. <laughs> he he appreciates. Shrimp. Excuse me. <laughs> what can I say? You uncultured swine. I was about to say that. Thank you very much. Wow. So this is what it feels like to be ganged up on, huh? <laughs> hey, you you get what you dish out. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. I've been very due for a long I time. just helped Jake get back at you for throwing it to him. For at the drop of a hat at the beginning of this segment, yeah. so he had his revenge. That is fair. Revenge of the Jake, revenge of the Sith. It's all the same thing. Yep. Exactly. R O T J. R O. No, that's Return of the Jedi. Return Rage of the Jake. Of the Jake. Whatever, man. <laughs> you know that's a good response to so many things. Whatever, man. Whatever. I, I mean, okay. There's another phrase that I don't think I'm allowed to use on the show, so I'm not going to say it. But no, I want to know what it is. When I get really ticked off at somebody, instead of saying just whatever, Ben, you might have to bleep this out. Okay. If I get if I get really ticked off at somebody, guy or girl, I'll just be like, "All right, whatever floats your p- <laughs> that, Oh. That expect- wow. Unbelievable. Did not see that coming. And on that note, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning into this episode. For this very family friendly show. <laughs> thank you for tuning into this episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. 
broadcasting live on Facebook and on channel1138.com. We are back next week to celebrate our sixth anniversary special. But in the meantime, where can the folks at home keep up with you? Ben? Um, They can find me at Ben Hart with no E on the social medias, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. And yeah, um, uh, I, 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 I don't post as much as I usually do. Um, but Clone Wars is coming out, so, you know, I, I, I am uh, getting in, in into the groove of uh, reacting to that and whatever. And, yeah, so a lot of stuff going on. Go follow me over there. And, Jakey Boy, what about you? Uh, you can follow me over on Twitter, at Jake Damon. I'm enunciating for no reason at all. And you can follow me over on Instagram, at Jake Damon as well. Because I got my... Oh, wait, no, I didn't. I thought I lived in a parallel universe where life was fair and I got the name that I wanted on Instagram. But really, it's at Jake Damon, or Jake W. Damon, I should say, which is close enough, I guess, but still misses the mark. Uh, But yeah, follow me over there. I'm working on a Mysterio cosplay that is now over a year in the works and almost no closer to being completed. And uh, sometimes I post artwork. And uh, if you follow me, I'll comment something funny on a picture that you posted. That's my promise to you. Jake, may I suggest this very original uh, hashtag, username, whatever. Mm. Um, Jake Damon with no E. Jake Damon with no E. Where have I heard that before? Except he's got an E in his name, Jake. But it, yeah, he would be he would forever be known as Jack Damon. There you go, there you go. People Jack can people confuse us enough. Like I had a roommate named Jake, and my name was Zach. And whenever they wanted to get either of our attention, they just called one of us Jack. <laughs> I mean, I've done that more than once on this show. Yeah, people, y'all is my witness. Sharon and I, our our couple name is Shake. So you know, <laughs> people just go, hey Shake, come oh. over. Here. <laughs> how does that's good that's how does really she good. feel about that i mean i think she's the one who came up with it. oh okay <laughs> that's wow. great that is greatness yeah i feel sorry for whoever's going to end up with me because the couple names always going to have to have some sort of like a z or something in it and it's, it's just not going to be easy to come up with yeah well we tried to find a way to include because you know how like couple do like the wedding hashtags or whatever like like so people yep. can find pictures on Instagram. Well, we tried to incorporate shake into ours, but we couldn't think of one. And then one day she just thought, what about the hashtag claiming Damon? Like she's claiming my last name. Oh, like that. Oh. That is perfect. You have to do that. So she did. It was a big that, hit. I can, I can see who the creative one in this marriage is. Okay. That's stepping over the line. <laughs> Those weren't my shining moments, for sure. I was jealous. I was this like, is just turned in, This is just... This episode has just turned into Jake and Zach, or, which I'm going to call Jack now, um, <laughs> as at each other's throats. Oh, yeah. Well... Settle down, boys. It's like, no fighting! No fighting! It's like, it's, like a, it's like a mutual roast, and I'm kind of having fun with it. <laughs> Me too. And this isn't over by a long shot. No, not by a mile. <laughs> if this show went in any further, we would just turn into, Yo, mama's so fat! Yeah. The last time she saw 90210 was on a scale. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Can't even come up with a good one right now. 
Oh, dude, I got so many of them. Maybe this should be the post-credit sequence. I got so many of them. But I'm not going to do it right now on the IPC podcast. But if you stick around, you might hear a little bit more afterwards. But you can go find us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can go follow me at Zach the Voice, Z-A-C-H, The Voice on Facebook and Twitter, and Zach.TheVoice on Instagram, because I've got, like, a Jake Damon complexion going on in my situation as well. But Zach the Voice on Facebook and Twitter, Zach.TheVoice on Instagram, and IPC Podcast just about everywhere else. Guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode of IPC. So looking forward to celebrating six years with you next week. That's going to do it for this episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. For Ben Hart and Jake Damon, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until then, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. Courage begins by trusting oneself. And we trust that you'll be back next week for another episode of IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. Lois Lane. Hi, Superman.
<laughs> hey, Lois, how's it going? <laughs> you want to go fly with show me? show you the world. <laughs> Shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, bitch, how <laughs> Let your heart decide. I want this to be the scene. <laughs> Somebody dub it, please. <laughs> oh, I feel like I know what the post credit uh, scene is going to be. <laughs> yep, you guessed it. You guessed it. You gave me good material. I always love it when this happens. <laughs> You're welcome.